I don't know what my favorite is. It's either 30330 or it's we choose truth over facts. And then, of course, then it gets really ugly. Poor kids is just as bright as white kids. Yeah, crazy, creepy. Uh, this is more than a gaff-prone Biden. It's a disaster for the Democratic Party that's unfolding before their eyes. We even have Democrats in Iowa. Iowa Democrats, historically, they want a more establishment candidate to vote for. And it is looking like a deep panic has set in to the Democratic Party and, and, and as I've been telling you, I mean, I'm, I'm watching the media very, very closely these days, and I'm telling you, it is uh, what, whatever the talking point of the day is, they're going to lock in and they're going to stick to it and they're going to speak in one voice, whether it's Russia, Russia, impeachment, impeachment. Um, the crisis at the border is not a crisis at the border. What do they call it? A... They called it a miss something. I forget what they call it. A manufactured crisis at the border. Impeachment, impeachment. Then, of course, stormy, stormy, racist, racist. And they don't stop. You know, now it's, you got, you know, what do we have here? The talking point all week long. Donald Trump is a racist. He wants an all-white nation. You know, liberal morning Joe. Obama, uh, you know, literally Joe saying on, the, on their show, they're trying to keep America a majority white country. Julian Castro, they're clearly trying to establish a whiter nation. Uh, this KDK BBC lady, whatever her name is, it's about keeping America white. And, and then, of course, you have what well, Nicole Wallace claiming that, oh, Trump is planning the extermination of Latinos. I, it's this is insanity. Um, but it is all they've got. They don't have ideas. Mueller let them down. Mueller's life raft never came even when he went to testify, even though everybody knew he was not fully up to speed to testify, but they didn't care. So they're stuck with what, Joe Biden? Poor kids are just as bright as white kids, and you can't go to a 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. And uh, for the first time ever, you know, we have somebody that is articulate and clean and bright, an African-American. This is storybook, man. I mean, who talks like this? Not remembering Margaret Thatcher is no longer the prime minister. She's long gone in Great Britain or saying that he was vice president and he met with the kids from Parkland. No, you weren't vice president. That was 2018. You were out for two years. And so there is a panic here. Even New York Magazine, local party officials expressing concern this weekend in Iowa that Biden's onstage performance and the notion of his electability are in question. He's not verbally compelling. The Madison County Party chair told The Washington Post there's starting to be real fear that, cannot, that he cannot hold his own in a debate against Donald Trump. The party chair from Grundy County wished that he'd get his mojo back and reminisced over Biden of 2012 when he debated then-vice presidential hopeful Paul Ryan. Um, I don't think they're going to get out from underneath this at all. Remember, he also said after the shootings, the ones that took place in El Paso, Texas, and then hours later, Dayton, Ohio, well, he referred to those having taken place in Houston and Michigan. That's how bad this is getting. And by the way, it wasn't the first time that he referred to Theresa May as Margaret Thatcher. That was the second time that he made that blunder. Um, then he's got his own record as vice president, which is a disaster. Nobody ever talks about that. Everyone thinks that they're just going to be able to gloss over the failing 
uh, record of Biden and Obama. That's not going to work either. He's a gaff machine a second. And then, all right, so then what are you left with? You're not left with a whole hell of a lot. You got, well, Kamala Harris, and she wants Medicare for all, and you can't keep your your own health care insurance. Uh, we're doomed. That means we will all be under the government system. Let me tell you what that means. We can't afford it. It would take up nearly the first 10 years. It would take up the entire budget. And I am concerned about budget deficits. First thing we've got to do is build up our defenses, become energy independent. Yeah, we got to get a hold of the budget, um, which will happen, in my opinion. Um, but I digress for a second here. We have a lot of news. We are expecting a report. John Solomon, investigative reporter and the executive vice president of the Hill, will join us. We expect that the first of what might be at least three, maybe four full reports that will be coming out. The one will be somewhat anticlimactic tomorrow. This is information we've already known about Comey, top, uh, top secret classified information. That would be the information that was in his house that the FBI retrieved a month after he was fired. That was the information that he leaked to his professor friend, to the New York Times for the purpose of getting a special counsel appointed. This a referral, of course, for prosecution has not been pursued. And then also the issue of a lack of candor in that specific case. But that is that is the lowest hanging of fruit. And the issues that are behind it are so significant, which would include a premeditated systemic fraud committed, a knowing fraud against in the FISA court application process, uh, which means that they were warned fully. That will be the Horowitz report on that. There may be a separate report on all of the leaking from within the intelligence community and the DOJ and the FBI. That, too, will be coming out. And probably the biggest and most damning report of all is going to be the outsourcing of intelligence. Maybe we'll call this the Barr report or the Durham report or the combination thereof. And that means that that which is illegal, spying on Americans without warrants, spying on a presidential candidate a transition team and a president and outsourcing that illegal activity to our allies oh let's say in italy great britain and australia uh is all likely to be exposed and explosively so so no I, we we are real realistic here don't expect tomorrow's report to be the big uh kahuna wait for fisa wait for this report on the outsourcing of intelligence gathering and the abuse of power at levels that we never dreamed of and literally the powerful tools of intelligence that we entrust to the 99 percent of of these brave people that work at the nsa and the cia and then of course our law enforcement with the premier the world's premier law enforcement is our fbi they've been damaged because of the actions of a few at the top abusing their power and trying to influence the outcome of a presidential election and then unseat a duly elected president because they don't like them. And the same with the intelligence community. We have the premier intelligence gathering services in the entire world. We are the envy of the world. Say all you want about Russian interference. Whatever we do to them is, I'm telling you, a thousand times more powerful. And don't think we don't spy on our enemies. We do. And thank God we do. But those powerful tools of intelligence can't be turned on political opponents or we're not going to have a country. You cannot abuse these tools of intelligence as powerful as they are. We need them for our enemies, both foreign and domestic, to protect our constitutional republic. And it appears that all of this abuse of power 
not only will come out, will be exposed, and every source I have tells me confidently it'll shock the conscience of and soul of the American people, and it will all be exposed. So we'll get into all of this as the uh, program unfolds here today. We, we, we just have a lot on our plate. Um, well, this uh, we have townhall.com. You know, Democrats, they never seem to get tired of accusing ICE agents of mistreating um, illegal immigrants. Have you ever noticed that? I bet you won't hear Chuck, Nancy, Ocasio-Cortez or, or any of the squad uh, ever utter a, a peep about or a, a protest about what just happened to an 11-year-old girl in Maryland because two illegal immigrants have been accused of raping an 11-year-old Maryland girl over an extended period of time. And the two illegals, both in their late 20s, were friends with the victim's older brother and the first allegedly raped the girl in July of 2018. Now, this is why I always go out of my way to say, I, look, me and O'Reilly were talking about this yesterday. It's true. I've been down to the border 14 times. I have been at the Rio Grande. I have been all the way across the border through San Diego. I've been in the drug warehouses. I've been up in helicopters with these agents trying to protect our border. I have been out on boats with them. I have been on all-terrain vehicles with them. I have been even on horseback, and I nearly fell off out there with them. One of the agents saved me. I've been there when people are arrested. I've been there when when drug uh, dealers and gang members have been arrested, and I have the video to prove it. I've been in there. When you see the drug warehouses, you can't believe it. And what I don't understand is that if we now know definitively that 90% of America's heroin crosses that southern border and that we're losing nearly 300 Americans a week because of the use of heroin and opioids, and now we've got a lot of the fentanyl that is killing, you know, thousands of people every month in this country, uh, that's crossing our southern border. And then we have, while well, I sat through the security briefing with then-Texas Governor Rick Perry, and we had all the border professionals, and they put together an incredible PowerPoint. And in the PowerPoint, they pointed out in a seven-year period, 642,000 crimes committed against Texans alone, and some of those crimes as severe as murder, rape, and violent assault. And this is happening because we're not vetting people at the border. I'll concede the 99% want what we all take for granted. The greatest single best country God our creator has ever given man. And the only reason we have this freedom is as a gift from God protected by the toughest, meanest, most powerful military on the face of this earth. That's why we have freedom. So if we're going to let people in, we have a right to vet them. We have a right to know that they have a means of taking care of themselves Democrats, they're running on the notion that you can be in the country 30 seconds and you're going to get free medical care and you're going to get free access to our educational system and you're going to get everything free, free, free. Well, we can't afford it, number one, and they're insisting that we take it. But I'm worried first about the one percent. Build the wall, put the door in the wall. And that's what the president is doing. And with the president, with his emergency orders, he has successfully now won the court battle. And that means the he will be reallocating defense funds to continue his building of the wall, repairing of the wall, which is going on now as we speak. And we had one of the top agents on what was the last week saying he expects by 2020 that some 500 miles of fence will be fixed and repaired and new wall will be up and it will be more secure than it's ever been. And we'll probably still have more to do. But it's just the beginning of all of this. 
You know, then you got people like, you know, Mayor Pete, Mr. Buttigieg, you know, he helped immigrants for ICE raids. We have states like California, cities like San Francisco, cities like New York City. They actually help illegal immigrants break the law. Even criminal aliens that get out of prison, they won't cooperate with ICE officials to deport the criminals. We're not talking about children here. And never mind the ridiculous notion, will somebody please, please take Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez uh, to Auschwitz and let her see and study and learn what a concentration camp is like. And then we can send her to the detention center that Fox News' Griff Jenkins went to, the one with the soccer field and the rec facilities, the one that had the TVs and the telephones for those being detained, the ones with the beds and the blankets and the pillows, the ones that provided the doctors and medical attention and medicines and the baby formula and the diapers and everything else that was required. Yeah, that you are going to compare that to Auschwitz and get away with it. Well, Buddha judge, we now found out that, you know, when he was mayor, one of the mayor's challenges and models for America's future is two terms of mayor at South Bend. You know, he found creative ways to navigate within the structures of what the real law is about and bring undocumented immigrants and their families into the city's fold. And he partnered with local nonprofits and he instituted a community resident card. Uh, program to help undocumented South Bend residents open bank accounts, fill get prescriptions filled, know your rights. I mean, they're doing everything they can do to aid in the bet. Why are these lawmakers never willing to enforce the law? If they want to change the law, good luck. Go to the American people, make your agenda known, and try and get these laws implemented. But no, they just make them up as they go along. All right, as we continue on, 800-941-SHAWN. Now, when uh, we're joined by John Solomon um, and his investigative report, Justice Department documents obtained by Judicial Watch, this is just breaking, show that the wife of Bruce Orr, the fourth highest uh, person inside the Justice Department at the time, that his wife, and uh, Nellie Orr, working for Fusion GPS as a researcher into all things Donald Trump and this phony Russia conspiracy theory, that she pretty much acted as a virtual campaign uh, mole for Clinton inside the Justice Department, uh, also feeding the FBI one bogus Russiagate conspiracy theory after another, even after Trump had won the presidency in 2016. Oh, where did it all come from? The documents show Bruce Orr discussing information obtained through his wife, Nellie, including the dirty Clinton bought and paid for phony Russian Trump dossier, and a spreadsheet that tried to link President Trump to dozens of Russians. And Nellie Orr's spreadsheet purports to show linkages between Trump, his family, and criminal figures, many of whom were Russians, and the list of individuals allegedly linked to Trump include a Russian that was involved in a gangland killing, an Uzbek mafia don, a former KGB officer suspected in the murder of Paul Tatum, a a Russian who reportedly buys up banks and pumps them dry, a Russian money launderer uh, for Sergei uh, Magnitsky, a Turk accused of shipping oil for ISIS, a couple who lent their name to the Trump Institute promoting a get-rich-quick scheme, and a man who poured him a, a drink and others. Well, isn't that nice? And then they also, Bruce Orr, emailed himself a document entitled Manafort Chronology, another Nellie Orr Fusion GPS document, which detailed Manafort's travel and interactions with Russians and other officials. 
Jeez, and I thought two hookers urinating in a bed in the Ritz in Moscow was going to be a big deal. We'll have more with John Solomon coming up. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN is our number if you want to be a part of the uh, program. I am telling you this is full-on panic as it relates to what's going on in the Democratic Party and with Joe Biden. And it's not like they have a lot of other options here. I mean, there are now people saying, well, maybe we really need to look at Buttigieg because Kamala Harris has now tied herself to such radical extremism. And, of course, AOC and the squad and everything in between. But I look, I, I think in a very smart and nice way, David Axelrod, he's not a dummy. He's a pretty smart guy. And he orchestrated the whole, yes, we can hope and change mantra of, of Obama, but you got to give Obama, Obama some credit. I mean, number one, he didn't have a media that would ever vet him, but he had a a dynamic personality and a forceful delivery and energy that you know that caught on, and people began to believe the slogans and so on and so forth. You know, Bernie you know, Sanders is out there, you know, with his socialism. We're going to go to the 80-year-old socialist from Vermont is going to beat Donald Trump in this economy? I don't think so. And then Bernie accusing Israel of racism and threatening to cut off USA. Uh, that's not going to fly. He's obviously throwing in with the Omar Talib crowd, which is, I don't think, good politics. You got a poll in New Hampshire now showing Biden is sinking there. Um, Sanders leads the field in New Hampshire with the 21% Gravis marketing poll released today. Sanders following is followed by Biden with 15, Elizabeth Warren with 12. I would think that Warren might come up there. And of course, not only has Kamala Harris bought into the new green deal and Medicare for all, and you have no choice for insurance. I didn't think she was particularly nice to the older lady when she was calling out bingo numbers in Iowa the other day. It seemed like she didn't want to hear it when the lady said, don't take away my health care. And anyway, so the Washington Post even had to call out Elizabeth Warren, 1024, uh, and Harris, uh, four Pinocchios, for spreading their anti-cop Ferguson smear because they both were, were given four Pinocchios by the Washington Post, which, by the way, somebody needs to give Pinocchios to the Washington Post for their two years uh, plus years of lying and conspiracy theories and false reporting and propaganda and misinformation and the political hatchet job they do pretty much every day on the president, just like the fake New York Times. But anyway, but even in this case, their fact checker who checks the fact checkers gave its harshest rating of four Pinocchios to uh, both Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, who uh, were claiming that Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, was murdered by in 2014 by Officer Darren Wilson. Now, the only problem is they ignored the Justice Department findings. And on top of that, they gave what is just an absolute false narrative that had been debunked repeatedly by eyewitness after eyewitness in that case. Now, Brown had, you know, this this idea that Brown had been murdered by Officer Wilson. No, he wasn't indicted for the crime. The Obama administration's Justice Department, they issued an 86 page report. They concluded there was no credible evidence at all that Wilson wasn't telling the truth. 
and that Brown was killed in self-defense as he was charging after him full on after he, in fact, had reached into the police car. Remember, the first shot went off. He reached in, tried to grab Darren Wilson's gun. That's where the first shot went off. This is after the robbery that we had on videotape. And remember, the person that said hands up, don't shoot, if I recall correctly, was the guy that was also involved in that incident in the in the grocery store, the convenience shop. And instead, they had witness after witness after witness uh, all testifying and many of them fearing reprisal uh, when they told the truth. And they told the truth that, in fact, yeah, it was Michael Brown charging at Darren Wilson, who's telling him to stop. And the guy had no choice in that particular matter. His career was ruined because he just left. He said, who needs this? You know, I'm going to tell you something. This is, understand, these are really very interesting, new, dynamic times. And I think all of it really comes down to the fact that America chose, I believe rightly, to elect a president who was a disruptive force and a threat to all things that are the swamp, all things that represent the status quo, all things that are the sewer, all things that are the establishment, which is not serving the American people well. And that's why the iconoclast Donald Trump was elected. And I think Donald Trump is clearly with the people that went out in 2016 as popular, if not more popular than he was when he ran in 2015 and 16. And I think one of the reasons people, number one, in spite of the media and their constant harping on whatever false talking point narrative of the day, manufactured crisis, crisis impeachment, racism, stormy, uh, Russia, Russia, you know, they see what has happened here. They see that the media mob had a real Russia interference story and real Russian lies purchased, real Russian lies leaked. For the perp to the Washington Post, among others, let's fact check that, Mr. Kessler, um, and people like Michael Isikoff, uh, you know, he'll he'll pretty much print anything that's fed to him to create circular reporting. It was all the same source, the dirty Clinton paid for Russian dossier that was never verified. This, of course, all after they they rigged an investigation when the evidence was overwhelming, slam dunk, incontrovertible that Hillary Clinton violated the Espionage Act committed numerous other felonies associated with top secret classified information on a private server. And that was all covered up on her behalf. And then, of course, an obstruction case, which was slam dunk. And that's her deletions of subpoenaed emails and the destruction of the hard drive bleach bid and the hammers on devices and the removal of SIM cards. Nobody in the media mob felt like telling that story. Just like they don't seem concerned, the I believers in the case of lieutenant governor in Virginia, that, but they cared about Kavanaugh. All of this is political. All of these people are so interconnected that they basically speak in one voice every single day, whatever the narrative of the day happens to be. And I'm going to tell you something. This is the biggest campaign contribution that will ever be given in the history of any presidential race. And that is the rot that exists in print media like the Washington Post and the New York Times. The rot that would represent the big three networks, ABC, CBS and NBC. I mean, how does NBC have an anchor that has a job today after saying Donald Trump has a plan to exterminate Latinos? And that's that's pretty much daily fair for the people in the media. 
Whatever the talking point of the day is, you can pretty much guarantee that they're going to go out with it and they're going to spread it and they're going to run with it and they'll never fact check themselves. They're never going to say, oh, I think we're wrong. Oh, I, I, I think we got this wrong. I think we need to apologize. I think we need to issue a correction. It's been two and a half years of this never ending lying that has gone on and they just continue on with it. And whoever emerges as the 2020 candidate for the Democratic Party, they're going to end up supporting and they're going to support in a major way and they're not going to care. You know, one of the more interesting anecdotal bits of evidence about Trump's popularity has to do with a report that just came out. Sixty one percent of the money that's being raised directly by the Trump campaign, this election cycle, that's all coming from small donors. Well, I think that would be the people that are waiting, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning or even earlier the night before and tailgating and hanging out in the pouring rain in the hopes that they may get one of the 20,000 seats in whatever arena Donald Trump will be speaking at at a rally later that night. Well, it seems like they're pretty energized. I don't think that people that voted for Trump in 2016 are disappointed in terms of him keeping his promises. There are a few disgruntled people. I mean, no, nobody's ever going to please everybody out there. But I mean, he did keep his word on judges for the court and he did pick from the list he gave us ahead of time as it relates to Supreme Court justices and constitutionalists. He did give us the biggest tax cuts in history. Followed through on that. He's eliminated more uh, Washington government bureaucracy in in less than three years than had been done in the last 33 years. I mean, we've been piling on all these burdensome regulations. It's costing us a fortune because business passes the cost on to us. And I've never seen anyone as, as active as this president in recruiting big companies to spend their dollars in this country and build their factories in this country and their manufacturing centers in this country than this president. He has no problem getting on the phone and asking CEOs, well, what I, what, what's, what's getting in the way of you building here and not Mexico? You know, what, what are we doing wrong? Tell me what's hurting you. How can, how can government better serve you? Because he wants those Americans in those towns in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan. He wants those, those people to have jobs. And lo and behold, we have the best employment situation since 1969. There's nobody in the media that's going to report that. A few of us, talk show hosts, will report it. You know, record low unemployment again, another record for African-Americans the last week and a half. Record low unemployment, Hispanic Americans, a guy that has a plan to exterminate Latinos, according to NBC. You know, record low unemployment, record low unemployment for Asian-Americans, women in the workforce, youth unemployment. Youth unemployment is important because that means kids aren't going to be on the streets getting in trouble. When I was young and I had a job, I wasn't getting in trouble. That's good. Learn how to work. Learn what real life's about. Every kid can use that that opportunity in life. But now 61% of the money raised, well, that would be anecdotal that Donald Trump isn't losing the enthusiasm he had in 2016. So he got rid of the regulations. He kept his promises on judges. He gave us the biggest tax cut in history. You see, he kept his word and negotiated better trade deals. He's doing it with our European partners. He's done it with Canada and Mexico. He's now in the middle of a fight that he's going to win with China at some point. We're getting concessions. It's not where we want it to be. It's not the best in terms of stability for the stock market. Not that I really, most people really care about the stock market that much. 
I mean, I, I, I honestly, it's the stock market for 80, 70 percent of Americans is all these numbers are meaningless. You know, let's let's first get to survival. I would like to see America. And I think the best thing this president has done is opened up our energy independence for the first time in 75 years. And by that is the single biggest wealth creator resource we have as a country. If you want to raise the standard of living of every American, we got all the oil, natural gas, clean coal that we could ever want. And if we start taking it out in larger and larger quantities and shipping it abroad and providing the energy needs, the lifeblood of every economy on the face of this earth, that alone will raise the standard of living of every American. Because that industry is paying big money, career jobs in basically every aspect of the energy energy process or the energy industry, starting with, you know, those that that drive the energy and trucks are being trained and being paid 80 grand a year without any overtime. And then you have as much overtime as you can ever want. But of course, that's not that story is not going to be told by the media. They just, you know, how can we hate Trump today? Let's call him. How can we call him a, a bigger racist today? It goes on. And by their standards in the media, well, then Bernie Sanders responsible for the Scalise shooting, Elizabeth Warren, the Dayton shooting. All the Democrats that say they're concentration camps, well, the shooting that has taken place uh, in San Antonio in the ICE facilities, well, they'd be responsible for that. Their rhetoric caused it. Or the other attacks, for example, in July of 2019, when the Washington ICE facil- facility, you know, was, was sh- shot at. You had a man accused of hurling incendiary devices at that Washington ICE facility. He was shot by police. Or the one in Arizona, the suspect in the shooting involving ICE special agents were identified there. Then you've got, of course, Democrats. You have a representative, Gutierrez, calling ICE agents Gestapo. Uh, Is he responsible then for what happened in San Antonio? Or this, you know, liberalresistance.net? And it says ICE, the American Gestapo? Or Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the congresswoman from Queens, New York, doubling down on dumb and stupid and comparing the detention centers to concentration camps. Will somebody please take this woman over to Auschwitz and somebody that we have plenty of video to show her what a real concentration camp looks like. And then we can go take her to the one that Griff Jenkins went to with the soccer fields, the rec facilities, the phones, oh, the computers. And let's see, what else did they have there? Other recreational facilities. They had medical care. They had beds. They had blankets. They had pillows. That's not what Auschwitz was. It's not a concentration camp. Pretty unbelievable. You know, Democratic uh, Congresswoman called ICE Gestapo of America. This Yvette Clark Congresswoman. Was she responsible for what's happening? What about all these people like Mayor Pete? He helped prepare immigrants when ICE raids were coming. What about these, the aiding and abetting in sanctuary cities and states? You know, Donald Trump, modern day Gestapo, said almost every day by people on NBC, ABC, CBS. They don't care about the truth. They'll never tell the truth. And that's why so many people hate them. But the question will be, as it is every election, are you better off than you were four years ago? Donald Trump lost many of his supporters. I don't think so. And what about the people, best employment situation since 1969, the millions and millions now off of food stamps, out of poverty, out of work, now working. 
will they consider voting for Donald Trump because they have a better situation? I think the answer is yes. Good luck to Crazy Uncle Joe and company. Frankly, angry to learn of the MCC's failure to adequately secure this prisoner. We are now learning of serious irregularities at this facility that are deeply concerning and demand a thorough investigation. The FBI and the Office of Inspector General are doing just that. We will get to the bottom of what happened and there will be accountability. But let me assure you that this case will continue on against anyone who was complicit with Epstein. Any co-conspirators should not rest easy. The victims deserve justice and they will get it. They deserve justice and they will get it. That the commitment from the Attorney General Barr uh, as it relates to the Epstein death in jail. Many, many questions remain. Uh, There are two stories that we are following with investigative reporter and executive vice president, columnist for The Hill, uh, John Solomon. One has to do with Epstein. We now have memos uh, showing the DOJ has been warning for decades about really serious, stark problems inside the federal prison system. The issues in Epstein's death uh, closely resemble those in high-profile inmate suicide probe from 24 years earlier. Why haven't they fixed it? You see, internal internal reviews uh, frequently flagging security issues like security camera blind spots. Uh, you had the 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 unions fumbling contraband search policies for 10 years despite safety concerns. Uh, the question is, well, what high profile people was Epstein talking about when he talked to a New York reporter uh, saying, oh, yeah, I've got a lot of dirt on a lot of people. And um, with all the media out there and their sick, twisted and ugly conspiracy theories, once again, it's hard to get to the truth. We don't know what the answers are at this moment, but we'll get there. Anyway, John Solomon joins us on this. And we're also expecting what is the first of what will be at least three major reports that will be coming out. Reports two and three will be the massive bombshells we've been predicting for over two years. Uh, John Solomon, let's start on the Epstein case. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, there's a lot of things that are still uncertain in the factual narrative that we need to all build before we come to final conclusions. But one thing is certain. The Justice Department for 25 years has been repeatedly and chronically warned that its Bureau of Prisons bureaucracy suffered from serious shortcomings. And these warnings began shortly after another famous suicide in prison back in 1995 in Oklahoma City, right after the Oklahoma City bombing aftermath. Uh, A gentleman named Trenadu hung himself in the jail after being beat up, uh, and the the uh, significant failures of the uh, prison bureaucracy to protect him, uh, to properly investigate his death, to administer potential life-saving help to him when he was still partially alive, uh, mirror so closely what happened to Epstein. And it, it, when you read through these 25 years of inspector general reports and internal memos, they make clear that the Bureau of Prisons hasn't learned much, hasn't changed much in its behavior in 25 years between these two epic deaths in prison. The words of Epstein, I have dirt on powerful people, well-connected. Sure. Um, One of the interesting things the media won't focus on, there was one guy that did stand up to him in a in a pretty bold, dramatic public fashion. And that was Donald Trump 16 years ago when he threw Epstein out of Mar-a-Lago. You know, for all the people speculating that, oh, Donald Trump had him killed, the Deborah Messings of the world. I mean, the, the, the conspiracy theories are obscene. 
and absurd, but yet, after all we've been through, fairly predictable, I guess, at this point. Uh, probably, if there was dirt on Donald Trump, uh, I doubt Donald Trump would have publicly humiliated him in the high society of Palm Beach, which, as you and I both know, uh, means so much to so many. Where you stand in the pecking order is everything. But yep. we also have this issue of guards that are overworked. Now we have reports in the paper today that, in fact, these guards may very well have been sleeping. Um, yeah. There is massive overtime demands that are mandatory. And I, I know this from my own life and my mother. It was mandatory. Right. She do 16-hour shifts week, wow. seven days a week, week in and week right. out. You know, right. how and to wake this woman up for her next 16 hour shift, she had the la an alarm clock. And when it yeah. went off, the whole neighborhood thought a bomb went off in our house. It was so loud. <laughs> it was the only way she could get up. Only way to get up because she was so tired. But huh? that's how tired these guys are. Wow. And because nobody wants to work in these prisons. And one report that's today right. that prison guards fell asleep and then they falsified yeah. records to cover it up. That's that's a, and it's very similar to what we saw in the Oklahoma City case. Listen, uh, one of the things I found in these memos, there are five thousand prison jobs that the Bureau of Prisons has had trouble filling uh, over the last couple of years. That's a red flag right there, right? If you're down 5,000 staff positions, you know you have to be cutting corners in order to make ends meet. Uh, there's going and, and we can go through many things. Listen, it took 10 years for the Bureau of Prisons to come up with a policy uh, to uh, fight the rapid growth of contraband, which is a way that someone can, be, can commit suicide or a crime or a murder in prison. Contraband, one of the biggest threats to prison guards and to the prison population. Ten years to come up with a plan when they instituted it, the IG found, boy, it is full of holes. In fact, here's one hole. Uh, the cameras that are supposed to protect the guards have giant blind spots, which, and the prisoners know what those blind spots are. They can jump someone and never be caught on camera. If you take ten years to build a plan and you still have holes like that, you're not serving the American people. The well, bureaucracy... I mean you're right, but John, even further than that, they have the means yeah. of installing a camera in every single cell, uh, and, and in such a way as they're not going to be able to damage the camera, or if they start right. to try, you'll be able to run in there and stop them. But more importantly, right. you, you could have one prison guard, one correction officer watching 100 cameras, and they'll know if somebody's trying to commit suicide in seconds. What you see here is the neglect of the permanent bureaucracy of the Justice Department, the same bureaucracy that gave us the charade that was the Russia investigation. You have people collecting checks and bonuses and patting themselves on the back with awards who do not do the American people any good. They don't serve. They don't use common sense the way you and I have to run our businesses and our lives every day. The, you know, we call it the deep state. We call it the permanent bureaucracy. But at some point, someone like Attorney General Barr has to hold these people accountable in a way that's painful. And I believe the Epstein uh, moment is going to be a flashpoint in that accountability process, as is the ongoing John Durham probe in Russia about the Russia case. I think in both places, that per permanent bureaucracy has gotten a free ride, bad performance, rewarding themselves. They're going to be held to account for the first time in a very long time. And all that neglect from the Obama years of the Justice Department, and even early is finally going to be put on the table and fixed. I think that's the big hope for the American people. Well, and the problem is, is you've got, you know, people out there, celebrity Deborah Messing, actually saying Trump finally made good on his promise to kill someone, shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue or Michael Moore. I guess a country dumb enough to elect Trump is stupid enough to believe that Epstein committed suicide. Uh, yeah. And they did it, uh, you know, on the traditional Friday night, early Saturday morning dunk, uh, document dumb time when they know the fewest number of people will follow it. And then Rosie O'Donnell, you know, genius that she is, uh, saying, well, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's worms have opened and they will be crawling over some very powerful people. 
Oh, that. Yeah. Well, sorry, that was no. Meathead Rob Reiner. But all right, let me move <laughs> on to the the next bit of uh, information. So let me give you what I'm hearing because yep. while we do compare notes quite a bit. You're busy, I'm busy, and we kind of yeah. catch up at moments when we're getting to a critical point. Sure. Um, last night, you kind of accidentally on purpose, because I know you, let out of the bag. That <laughs> you called a, me out on it pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, our friendship allows for that. But, I, um, I loved it. But we expect maybe the first in what we expect to be, what I am told will likely be, three separate reports. That's correct. Report number one will be a follow-up. This will be from the Inspector General Horowitz right. as it relates to Jim Comey violating yep, the, the Espionage Act. Yep. Yeah, and their determination that he was lacking candor, in other words, lying. That would be what Papadopoulos, Manafort, Cohn were all charged with and spent right. time in jail for. Um, right. That is That is what we know it to be the most minimal by far. It doesn't even compare to the level of what we're heading into. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, 100%, I agree. I think this is the first opening salvo. It's a narrow investigation looking at how James Comey handled his um, uh, memos from his meetings with the president about the Russia case, many which were classified, one which was, or several that were leaked to his lawyers, one leaked to the media that had classified information. In it. We already broke the story a couple weeks ago, we know that he was referred for prosecution. DOJ declined prosecution because they thought it was a weak case. They're looking at other more serious matters with Comey. That could come I, I, let me tomorrow. stop you here. They thought it was a weak yep. case in this sense. They did not want to start with a case that wasn't a guaranteed slam-dunk conviction. And, right. and as you look at intent, that word intent becomes, in, in a courtroom, um, a word that would have been focused on by the defense like a laser beam. And 100%. proving intent is very difficult to do. Absolutely. And beyond intent, there's a second issue here, which is the classification uh, of the document that was actually leaked to the media, which is the most egregious of the examples in, in the Comey's handling, uh, was a document that didn't have markings on it saying it was classified until after he returned it to the FBI. Now, in fairness, he stole the document from the FBI, gave it to his lawyers before it had gone through the review process. That's bad conduct. But it's very hard for a jury to say, well, listen, it wasn't marked classified when he leaked it. All right, we get he didn't follow the rules, but we can't prove that he knew it was classified when he sent it. That's why the prosecutors made the decision they did. It's, it, they would have made this decision whether it was Jim Comey or Joe Smith. And I, and I think prosecutors do this every day. You have discretion when you realize that a jury might not grasp or might not appreciate the nuances of the case. That doesn't mean Jim Comey's out of, out of uh, trouble in any way uh, or shape or form. The, his testimony before Congress is still being examined for truthfulness and his conduct in signing that first FISA warrant, what he knew before he signed it, what the FBI allowed itself to represent that we now know not to be true. Uh, those are things that are more serious issues that I still think linger. Okay, so if we, were gonna, if we were going to name the reports, we would say likely Thursday, not 100%. Yeah. I hear it's likely Thursday. Thursday is what I'm hearing. Yep. All right, which is the, the minor Comey report by Horowitz. Then we're right. going to get the full FISA report. What is your timeline for that? That will be the one that will prove beyond any doubt premeditated fraud in order to get a, a FISA application denying American citizens uh, their constitutional rights and due process and literally committing a, a premeditated fraud on the court for also the purposes of spying on a opposition party campaign, yeah. a president-elect, and then a president of the United States. That the, will be big. 
that will be, I think that will be mid-September to early October is the time frame I'm hearing from people that are in the know. But in between that FISA report and the Comey report, there could be a second report, an interim report that comes out that takes a look at the culture of leaking inside the FBI and the practice of FBI agents allowing for a leak to occur and then using the leaked information, the newspaper or media report that comes from it as potential evidence. They're looking at that as well. That could be a separate report given the, the breadth of evidence I'm told they found so, in that in that practice. So that would be the circular reporting that we've discussed often. Exactly. That would be the, the their media allies, conspiracy theorist hacks like, oh, let's say Michael Isikoff, who's a conspiracy theorist and a propagandist who just prints whatever he's told to print. I actually am hearing something a little different. We'll compare okay. notes. We'll come back. John Solomon, executive vice president of the Hill Investigative Reporter. Uh, and we uh, we are awaiting what will be at least three reports, maybe now based on what he's telling me, four. But we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll continue. All right. As we continue with uh, John Solomon, investigative reporter, executive vice president of the Hill. All right. So. You're saying that the second report, again, Thursday, we expect the Comey stuff, which we pretty much already know. There might be right. one on the the systemic leaking that's separate and apart from what I had known was going to be a part. Then we've got the FISA uh, inspector general report, which will show premeditated fraud after numerous warnings that the information paid for by Hillary was false. And they purposefully misled a FISA court on multiple occasions. Um, but I also know that there is uh, an undertaking that has been going on all through Europe and that in this undertaking we might be getting to the origins of the Russia Trump conspiracy and it might Absolutely. involve top intelligence people that were outsourcing intelligence gathering spying on Americans to our allied spying agencies uh, things that they knew would be illegal for them to do and that these agencies fully participated in, and there was some type of reciprocity going on, which means the powerful tools of intelligence were turned on the American people by some very high-ranking intelligence people. Yeah, listen, uh, a few weeks ago, Attorney General Barr used a very specific term I've never heard used before, political surveillance. That is a term that doesn't belong in the lexicon of the Justice Department or the FBI or the intelligence community here in America. There is some suggestion that uh, uh, efforts were initiated overseas, either with the encouragement or wink of eye of the United States, to spy on certain political figures, bring intelligence in that would create the basis for an investigation. A lot of work needs to be done before we nail down the facts on that, but there is clearly an inquiry looking at this sort of loose network of foreign, private, foreign country intelligence agencies working loosely with U.S. intelligence, perhaps to carry out this dirty trick that was carried out on Donald Trump during the 2016 election. Now, I have some breaking news for you. Just a few minutes ago, the Justice Department has released uh, the memos that Nellie Orr prepared for her husband, Bruce, to give to the Justice Department and the FBI. When people read these memos, they're going to roll their eyes. You want to talk about tinfoil hat conspiracy data? These spreadsheets that were put together on Manafort and Donald Trump's hideous connections to Russia, as they're portrayed in there, laughable. Most of them were laughed out of the box by the Mueller investigation. But for the first time, we now know exactly what Nellie Orr, contractor for Fusion GPS and Hillary Clinton, provided her husband and used her husband as a conduit to get dirt on Trump to the FBI during and after the election. Uh, and when people read what it is, you'll wonder why the FBI ever accepted this information in the beginning. It's very troubling stuff. Another example of that conflict of interest we've been talking about. 
Stay right there. John Solomon, investigative reporter, executive vice president of The Hill. We'll keep him on to the other side of this break. All right, 25 now to the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number. Uh, he has graciously agreed to stay longer with us. Our friend John Solomon, investigative reporter, executive vice president of The Hill. Uh, we gave you his breaking news on the systemic prison po- uh, problems that have now gone on for decades and have not been resolved on the federal level. Uh, and eerie similarities to other suicides that had taken place 20, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, But also we are awaiting uh, the first of what will be at least three reports uh, of abuse of power and corruption, uh, maybe as early as even tomorrow as relates to James Comey. This is information we kind of knew about, but now we'll get the formal Inspector General report on Comey, the information uh, that was, in fact, classified that he took to his own home a month after he left office. The home was raided uh, by his former employees at the FBI. He was apparently interrogated at the time, and those documents had no right being there. Those are the documents that he ultimately leaked to his journalist friend at Columbia, his professor friend, who then was told to leak to the New York Times for the stated purpose of getting a special counsel appointed, which happened to be his BFF, Robert Mueller, who had been applying for the job that Comey left or was fired from uh, just the day before he became special counsel, which is a conflict in and of itself. Anyway, so we expect that report tomorrow, as John just explained in the last half hour, with no real bombshells here. My source is telling me that there's a reason they have found evidence that, in fact, the Espionage Act was violated by keeping those classified documents and that Comey himself showed a lack of candor, which means he lied to the FBI, correct? Absolutely. Uh, certainly wasn't forthcoming. I think the actual allegation that the report focuses on, I'm told, is the fact that when the FBI came, his own agents came to pick up these documents, Sean, that he had taken from the FBI improperly, he failed to tell them that they weren't only in his possession, that he leaked them to other people. So that delayed the FBI from discovering for some time that there was a leak of this classified information beyond just James Comey removing him from his office. So that's the lack of candor. It's a lack of candor by omission. But when you're the former FBI director, you owe it to your bureau to tell your agents who work hard every day everything you did was something when you know they came to your house to collect something that you shouldn't have had in your possession. It's, a, it's one of the things that I think will come out in that report as early as tomorrow. I want to stay on this and we'll go through each of the items individually because sure. I don't want people. We don't give false hope to people. and We're not raising people's expectations. We know right. exactly what this portion on Thursday we expect will be released is going to deal specifically and only with this issue of Comey. And in fact, they they did recommend uh, a potential uh, charges in this case. The attorney general had denied. Now, there are mixed reports from sources I have that that referral for potential prosecution was not even denied by Barr, but that decision had been made prior to Barr's arrival. I've heard that. I don't know it to be true. Do you? What I do know is that the recommendation had been floating around and surfaced with many people, but the final decision was made after Barr was attorney general. But here, it doesn't matter when. Everybody inside the Justice Department was in agreement that this was not the sort of case you should bring. And here's one of the reasons why. If James Comey stole these documents, leaked classified information, and he gets acquitted, it sends a terrible message to the rest of the bureaucracy about the handling of classified information. You bring these cases, one, to punish the person, two, to send a message 
against others who might be tempted to do the same thing. And this didn't have the sort of circumstances that a jury would likely convict on. And so you don't take that risk. There are many other uh, Okay, so we're, we're hearing the exact same thing. Then we're yep. going to have the Michael Horowitz FISA report. The, this has right. been delayed because of new circumstances. Uh, right. I, we now know that Durham spent some 16 hours. Finally, Christopher Steele, who, again, the bulk of information, the Grassley, Graham and Nunes memos pointed out in the FISA applications, the original application in October 2016, the three subsequent applications thereafter, three of the four right. signed by James Comey himself. But the bulk of information was the phony dossier and to reinforce your reporting. You're the one that discovered everybody at the Justice Department and the FBI at the highest levels were warned not to trust that information. Hillary had paid for the dossier. It was unverified and Steele had a political agenda hating Donald Trump. At the top of a FISA application is the word verified. That would mean a premeditated fraud committed on a court for the purposes of getting a backdoor channel into the Trump campaign, the Trump transition and later Trump presidency, and also denying Carter Page. And I don't think this is insignificant. His constitutional due process rights. Yeah, is that a, is that a hundred percent? You know, there's a document that doesn't get a lot of focus on that is so potentially powerful in understanding how far off the FBI was from its normal means. When they shut down Christopher Steele, they did what's known as a human source uh, validation report, what they thought of Christopher Steele, his body of work. And here is what that report, which a lot of people haven't looked at, it's released under FOIA a long time ago. It's so powerful. It said that his information was only minimally corroborated, meaning they didn't corroborate most of what he ever told them. Two, that they only had a medium confidence in the quality of his work. To know that that's where the FBI ended up with Christopher Steele, and yet to go into the court before that and tell the court this is a solid guy, we have every reason, we have no derogatory information about him, trust us when we say we verified this stuff about Carter Page, it's why you got to let us spy on Carter Page. It really shows how far from the truth the FBI was in that application. And when James Comey signed his name to that application, he extended that fraud. He extended that misinformation. He extended that uh, inappropriate contact with the court in a way that should never have happened. He holds the ball on that first FISA. Okay, then we've got now you're saying you believe there might be another report that I'm not that acutely aware of that would involve the systemic leaking of classified top secret information. Uh, I think this might go back to your original report reporting with me, and that involved, and that was in March of what year, 2017? 2017. I mean, that, okay. Yeah. Uh, which would be surveillance, illegal, uh, unmasking, uh, leaking of raw intelligence. Is, am I over the target on that? That's right. And in some cases, it might not even be classified information they're leaking, but if they leak something so that they then can turn around and pretend it's evidence that they found independently, it creates that circular reporting we've been talking about. We know that went on with Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele and Simpson leaked information. The FBI then used an article based on that leak, the Yahoo article by Isakoff, to support its FISA warrant when they knew it came from the very source that they uh, uh, that was Christopher Steele. That culture of leaking and that possible activity of using leaks to further warrants and court filings is something that the Inspector General is looking at, and I'm hearing that he's found enough that he might spin off uh, a, a singular report just on that culture of leaking. Okay, now the the next aspect of this is that then we have, again, so number one is Comey. We know that Thursday. Number two is the big Horowitz FISA 
investigation, premeditated fraud committed on a court. Uh, I've got to believe that there will be people that will be charged in that case. Certainly there should be a grand jury put forward. I would expect charges. Would you? Uh, I'll wait to see. uh, So far, I've seen no evidence of a criminal act action, meaning the impanelment of a grand jury, witnesses getting subpoenas. So, hey, hey, John, yeah. are you saying that yeah. they might get away with premeditated fraud committed on a FISA court for the purpose of spying on a presidential campaign transition and presidency? They might get away with that, that without being charged? No, here's what I'll say is that right now, at this point, early in the, in the Durham case, there's no sign as a reporter that I would be looking for that there's a criminal grand jury going on. We don't hear of a grand jury. We haven't heard subpoenas. But listen, at the beginning of an investigation, the first thing you do is you get all your facts together. That's why they've been in Europe. When they come back from Europe, if they impanel a grand jury, then you can begin to infer they found criminal activity. If we're three months from now, still no grand jury, I think as a reporter, my professional assessment would be it doesn't look like they're going criminal on this. It's early. Remember, Durham only got this assignment a couple months ago. There was a mammoth amount of evidence to review that had never really been looked at in the Rosenstein uh, Sessions Justice Department. And I think we should hold our powder, watch what happens. But for the public, what we ought to all be looking for are the first grand jury subpoenas. That will be the first and most declarative sign that there could be criminal culpability in the Russia case. All right. Now, this is where we now have all of this time that has been spent abroad by the Department of Justice by the prosecutor from Massachusetts, Mr. Durham. And what I'm hearing is at the end of the FISA report from the inspector general that things have gone a lot deeper and gotten a lot more a lot more corruption and a lot more abuse of power has been uncovered and will be exposed. And what I'm suggesting is you're suggesting a third report that might involve leaking. I'm suggesting a third report that might involve uh, things way beyond this in terms of the origins of the Russia investigation, the use of foreign intelligence services to spy on Americans, the outsourcing of that which would be illegal by our own intelligence officials uh, done on purpose for the purpose of impacting a presidential election and unseating a duly elected president and that the people at the highest levels in the intelligence community under Barack Obama and Joe Biden are the ones that would be held responsible for that. And that we call it the Durham report, the Barr report, the Barr-Durham report, that that would be the the explosive one. Yeah, and I think what's most important about that is, remember, the Justice Department Inspector General can only look at Justice Department employee conduct. You've got NSA, CIA, many other intelligence assets, maybe foreign allies or foreign private uh, intelligence corporations like Orbis and others that were involved. Uh, the great thing about the Durham Barr investigation is that it's far more expansive than what the Inspector General of Justice can look at. And I would expect that the, the Barr-Durham report will be the final word, the most comprehensive word. It will incorporate what the IG found, what we learned from the great congressional investigations, and then all the stuff that went on in Europe that now seems to be the most important and new focal point of this intelligence review. When, it, when you hear the word political surveillance used by our attorney general, he's signaling he has found something very troubling. That's a very explosive term to be using. Okay. Now, listening closely as you have been doing, I've been doing my own little digging here. We all have our own little sources that we we, we get information from. Sure. That, to me, might actually be the linchpin to all of it. And it actually would fit because it would go back to your original reporting about surveillance, unmasking, leaking raw intelligence, 
on a level that I don't think in March of 2017 either of us thought we'd get to. Yeah, when you look at the, the smartest people on this, the people that have looked at the classified information that you and I can't see, people like Devin Nunez, they have always suggested that there was an intelligence operation. It was possible that an intelligence op- op- operation preceded the FBI opening its formal case on July 31st, 2016. That's why there's these questions about the professors, Ms. Sood and Halper, and other people who are getting involved with uh, Carter Page and George Papadopoulos long before there was an FBI investigation, Alexander Downer. I think it's that period of time, I would say February to uh, June of 2016, that the Bar Review is digging in on because it's gotten no scrutiny up to this point. That could be some of the most explosive and interesting information about where people might have been coloring outside the line. We don't know yet, but there are certainly hints that people were in the intelligence community, private or, or government, were coloring outside the lines. And that's where I think Bill Barr is going to finish his investigation in that space of time. So maybe the Durham-Barr report at the end, that would be perhaps even the most explosive. Certainly going to be the most comprehensive and most important, no. because at the end of the day, you want your intelligence community working the right way, not cheating and intervening in an, uh, in a, an American election. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. And I think it all happened and it's all going to be revealed. Uh, all right, John Solomon, investigative reporter, executive vice president for the hill all right our final moments uh, i didn't think this was going to last the full hour but our friend john solomon investigative reporter executive vice president uh for the hill okay so assuming let's go through timelines last thing here so we expect maybe thursday the comey stuff that has to do with the documents we already know about then it's going to be the the horowitz pfizer report which we expect to be very damning and right. then we might have a separate investigation and report on the leaking and we might have an even bigger explosive report on the abuse of intelligence spying on Americans, outsourcing intelligence gathering and spying on Americans by our allies. That matches everything that I'm hearing on the inside. No, things can change in these investigations, right? If a criminal inquiry begins, the Barr-Durham report could be delayed until criminal prosecutions occur. But right now, the sequencing is exactly as you have laid it out, uh, Sean. That's what I'm hearing from Justice Department officials, from FBI officials and others that I talk to. Uh, I think the period of September to December will be a very uh, explosive time of revelation and, and really launch a discussion about what we want our intelligence community to do and what we don't want them to do in future elections. I suspect one of the big headlines we will get out of this, regardless of prosecutions or anything else, is that there, w- there will be new rules imposed on the Justice Department, the intelligence community, the FBI, about when they get involved with something that comes from a, a rival campaign, when they get yeah. involved into elections. Those things were clearly missing in the Obama administration. That blindness led us to two and a half years of wasted investigation. Uh, Really great opportunity now to make sure this never happens again. All right, John Solomon, thanks so much for being with us. We'll have the latest on all of these developments tonight on Hannity, but we expect that first piece to come out tomorrow. 800-941-SEAN is our number. Our news roundup information overload. Democratic Party, the media, Democrats in general are in a full panic over Joe Biden's meltdown. And of course, then you have Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris uh, saying that Michael Brown was murdered. Uh, No, that's not true either. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload in the final hour of the Sean Hannity Show. If you agree with me, go to Joe 303. 
3-0 and help me in this fight. I watched what happened when the kids from Parkland marched up to, and I, 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 I met with them, and then they went off to up on the hill when I was vice president, and they went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. And you don't know my state. My state was a slave state. My state is a border state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country. You got the first sort of mainstream African-American yeah. who was articulate and bright and they're going to put you all back in chains. All right, there it is. There is a meltdown. The head of the Iowa Democratic Party stating publicly that pretty much every Democrat in Iowa and they want a more establishment Democratic candidate uh, in a full panic over Joe Biden's disastrous weekend. Now, 303-30 is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you're talking about a gaff machine of, you know, poor kids are just as bright as white kids. You know, it's the first time ever, I mean, that you have a African-American that's articulate and bright and clean. Wow, that's storybook, man. And then, of course, we have him mistakenly saying he was vice president meeting the kids after the Parkland shooting. Uh, he wasn't vice president in 2018. We choose truth over facts. Yeah, we got that one. You can't go to a Dunkin' Donuts or a 7-Eleven unless you have a slight Indian accent. His state is a slave state. We're not like those northeastern states. No, liberal states. No, this state was a slave state. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. And you have to wonder, well, did Joe Biden lose his fastball or did he even really ever have one? But five major gaffes in one weekend has uh, put real fear and panic into the hearts of the Democratic Party. Anyway, glad you're with us. News Roundup Information Overload Hour. Ari Fleischer is with us. Uh, media consultant, political aide. I don't know how he did it. He was once the press secretary for President George W. Bush. I think the hardest job of anybody in Washington ever to deal with these idiots in the media mob. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How did you handle that without imagine. like one day not unloading on them? I mean, I, I mean, you must have the patience of Job. I couldn't do it. I could not do that job. Well, you know, Sean, reporters love Republicans, and so it was an easy job. They would just lob yeah. balls at me all day long. <laughs> I would return yeah. them. Yeah, Bush lied and people died. I know. Here we go. Um, yeah, there we go. You know, it is funny. Um, I know that you, even you, have said, you know, maybe Donald Trump shouldn't fight back as often as he should. I don't think people look at the other side of the equation, though. Um, you know, just look at like yesterday or in the last week, uh, he has a plan to exterminate Latinos. That was said by a host on NBC or, you know, uh, on, on crazy liberal morning, Joe, that the administration is openly trying to keep America a majority white country or Julian Castro. They're clearly trying to establish a whiter nation. And you look at manufactured crisis, manufactured crisis, stormy, stormy, racist, racist, Russia, Russia, impeachment, impeachment. And you just see this this rage, psychosis, hatred that is every second minute hour of the day. It's never been this bad. And, yeah, Trump fights back, but nobody talks about how often he gets hit. Look, I, I wrestle with this a lot, Sean, because I think it's the biggest criticism I have heard about Republican style, that Trump, thank goodness, fights back. And there's merit to that. But there's not merit to it every day. And here's what I'm getting at. Nobody in politics will ever make the loonies on the left go away. Trump won't. Bush won't. Trump's successors won't. Nobody will. They'll be out there saying these ridiculous things like Biden said about put you all back in chains. It doesn't matter who you are. They'll say it. 
The issue to me with the president, though, is does he sometimes fight back well and win the day, or does he sometimes fight back so hard by polarizing his opponents, but particularly for suburban college-educated women and people in suburbs? Republicans are losing those people. Donald Trump is losing those people. Can he win an election without those people? So it's a question of degree, Sean. I want him to fight back. And frankly, I think without his personality, you never have a president who takes on China the way he's doing it. No smooth-talking politician would ever do it. So there are things about his personality but, but didn't that, America... abrasive that also make him effective. There are also things that can go too far, and it ought to be said. Listen, I think the people that have gone the furthest over the edge, it's a combination. They're, they're, they literally are tied at the hip, which would be the media mob that just rages, you know, just every single day. We've had two and a half years of lies, propaganda, conspiracy theories, all proven false. They still can't let it go. And then they just move on to the next talking point that happens to be coordinated with the Democratic Party. But I think the American people knew full well who they were electing. They were electing an iconoclastic outsider and a disruptor that was going to take on the whole sewer swamp culture of Washington, and he was going to break a lot of dishes. And I think the guy that has kept every promise, tax cuts, cutting and ending burdensome bureaucracy, originalist justices, fighting for the wall, making us energy independent, better trade deals, you know, go down the list. This guy fought for every one of the promises he made, which I can't, you know, a lot of most politicians don't do that. They don't fight that hard. And I think people I now have grown accustomed to his style. I 100 percent agree with everything you just said. But here's what be even better. He does everything you just said without having said about four congressmen, go back to the country where you came from and improve those countries before you come and criticize me. Without well, we're going to get we got to get that comment right. He says, he all right, well, you can go back to the country yeah, he you came from, fix it and then and then come back and yes. then come back and show us how. That's what I just said. OK, but it would have been better if he never said go back to the countries where you dot dot. It would just would have been better. Because what happens when you talk like that, you send signals to other people who are immigrants or first-generation Americans saying, am I supposed to go back if I disagree with the president? Is he targeting me? It's not just about those four congressmen. It's the signals you send to others in society. Well, hang on. Aren't we dealing with a bigger issue, though, when when? you talk that there is a foundation to this of virulent uh, anti-Semitism? Harsh. Well, what seem like sympathetic comments to radical groups that want to destroy us and Israel. Um, Again, there's context and texture to everything. And uh, the president has been very clear many, many other times that he wants the wall to stop the 90 percent of heroin and the cartels and, you know, the MS-13 types from getting in. But he wants a big door so that immigrants can come in. And he said that Uh, how many times? All agree with. All agree with. But my, my point is, if you're coaching a baseball team and your team hit a bunch of home runs and is doing really th- good things well, but they made three errors, you work on those errors during the week. You drill so you don't make the same errors again. You keep hitting your homers, but you got to stop making the errors. I'll concede the point. point. Uh, let me concede your point. I would say that every one of us can learn and do better and... But I don't think it's realistic in, in Trump's case, in this, in, to this extent, <laughs> that he's going to fight all day for what he promised the American people, and he's going to get hammered the way he gets hammered. I, I, look, I thought George W. Bush got the crap beat out of him every single day. And I, I, George W. Bush 
much to my chagrin, didn't fight back harder. Uh, I know him to be a nice, good, decent man. Mitt Romney is a nice, good, decent man. And they still said he was a racist and a misogynist and a horrible person and a false caricature was painted against him. They did the same thing to a guy they said they liked, John McCain. John McCain ran for president. John McCain got the crap kicked out of him by the media. And then when he became a little anti-Republican again, he was loved by the people that called him racist and everything in between. So this is a very predictable pattern that Democrats use. Used to be every two and four years. Now it seems like it's every day. Yeah. And I don't disagree with anything you said there again. I'm with you on all of that. And we're probably a lot closer than it sounds like, Sean. I really do think the difference comes down to finesse. Hit your homers. Be tough, but don't do anything that goes too far. And I submit to you for every time, for every five homers he hits, one time he goes too far. That's it. I actually, I don't think that's bad advice at all. I really don't. I think you're, I think what he's doing and what frustrates me about Republicans is that I'll give you a quick example. How many votes did we have to repeal and replace Obamacare when they knew that Obama was never going to go along with it and they'd never pass it? What, 60, 65, 70 votes? And, mm-hmm. and the Senate in 2015, they, they pass a complete, clean repeal bill. Then when it matters, seven of those Republicans, when they had the chance to do it and Donald Trump would have signed it, seven of those Republicans backed off. They didn't really mean it. And what I see is in the Republican Party, I see a lot of weakness. I don't see the passion to 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 fulfill promises and advance the country uh, and get the job done. And I see the president out there often alone doing the heavy lift of really trying to implement the conservative policies that Mitt Romney said he stood for, but he didn't win. And it's frustrating to see the internal fight from people like him. And you can go on to other issues as well, moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, He's done a lot of things taking on China that we've all dreamed about, that politicians talk about and never do. And that's one of the reasons I've warmed to President Trump. It's one of the reasons I recognize that maybe rhetorically he can can go too far. But look at his policies. Look how effective they've been. Look how successful they are. And look how tough he has been where we need to be tough. And I admire that, and I like that. So I think Trump is winning people over. But at the same time, I I look at elections as saying you got to win over a majority. You can't come close. You can't get 47 or 48 percent. You better get 49 or 50 percent or 51 percent. And it's right on these margins that you can lose a close election. And I want him to win. So I'm not going to be afraid to criticize him when I think he's done something that hurts himself and sends a wrong signal. And I do recognize he is up against really a democratic media complex. The the degree to which the press goes to minimize and soften what the Democrats do wrong and then to pounce on the president is fierce. It's one of the reasons he calls them fake news. He's tired of them. I don't blame him for that. Uh, But if I was on the inside giving him advice, I would try to point out, and it's ineffective. Nobody can give him advice, I think. But I would try to say you've you got to just be wise in your criticism. You don't have to pulverize your opponents. You need to beat your opponents. I'd say it a different way. I think you're right in a lot of your, your – I, I don't even think it's really criticism. I just think it's stylistic differences. And I would say we don't need to hear every thought that crosses his head. Um, (laughs) And I think that's probably true of everybody. Uh, We'll take a break. More with Ari Fleischer, former press secretary for President George W. Bush, now owning his own consultancy company and doing very, very well. Quick break. Right back. And uh, we'll continue. 
right, as we continue, Ari Fleischer is with us, media consultant, political aide. He was also White House press secretary. Um, I look at this crop of 2020 Democratic hopefuls and I see the most radical, the most extreme, uh, those that have bought into some version of the new Green Deal, which would, to me, be a disaster for the country. And I don't see anybody. I think the hopes had always been on Joe Biden, but we see gaff after gaff. I think there is a very public reevaluation of whether or not Biden's up to this task. I don't think he is personally. David Axelrod hinted he doesn't think so either. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I love campaigns. And this is one reason why, because people get to see the American people get to see for themselves what their choices are. And at the presidential level, you really can't hide. People see your flaws and your strengths. And we're seeing a lot of flaws on the Democratic side. And their flaws begin with their ideas for America. They are a party that has increasingly moved into an overwhelmingly socialistic, redistribute, give everything out for free direction. And it's the ruination of America if you go too far down that road, which they're all pushing. My goodness, they said at the debates and raised their hands that somebody who enters America illegally this morning should get government-provided, taxpayer-paid-for health insurance this afternoon. How bad would that be for America? So we're seeing their ideas on display, abolish private insurance. It's the whole socialistic agenda that they've all fallen for, and they're advocating. These debates are the best thing to ever happen to Republicans. Um, I'm not who do you, who do you think it ultimately wins that? Who do you think is the front runner now? And if you had to make a prediction, who? Well, I do think Biden will collapse. And then I think it's likely going to be either Sanders, Warren, or Buttigieg. I, I don't rule him out. Uh, somebody's got to fill the the Biden void, which I think is inevitable. And I don't think anybody can answer that yet because too many future events will define it. Those are going to be their debates. But I do know, going back through history, you know, Republicans, 16 candidates run in 2015-16. Five of them dropped out in 2015, the year before the election. So we're going to have a number of Democrats drop out here in 2019. And then as the field whittles, that's where Biden becomes most vulnerable. I agree. All right, uh, Ari Fleischer, as always, appreciate your insight. Thanks for being with us. 800-941-SHAWN, toll-free telephone number. We have uh, Mark Furman at the bottom of the hour. We'll dig a little deeper into this Epstein, uh, the irregularities, as the Attorney General has said, and all that's gone on here and what the FBI is up to. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour. We've been monitoring the situation out of uh, Philly and uh, hoping that we the initial reports were not true. It, it turns out, in fact, they are. At least four Philly police officers shot. We now have a massive police presence um, in and around the Temple University uh, section of Philadelphia. It's the section, you know, in the nice town section of, of uh, Philly. According to officials, a massive police response has now descended in the area of North Philly. At least one of the suspects is in custody. Numerous reports, we don't want to rush the reporting on this as ever, but numerous reports that one of the gunmen may in fact be holed up inside of a nearby building, and the police are acting as if that in fact is the case. Uh, this all happening in the last half hour. The audio that has been obtained, I heard in one of the reports, came in from a, a panicked officer. And officer calls for everything you've got, SWAT, long gun. A law enforcement officer can be heard saying on the audio, 
Uh, officer shot, officer shot. Sky Force 10 was over the scene as an unidentified gunman firing, well, what some have reported as hundreds of shots, others firing, and local news uh, coverage there in Philly saying dozens of of shots being fired. Uh, nearly 30 minutes uh, into this whole thing, and as uh, the police officers then descended on the corner of 15th and Butler Streets in uh, downtown Philly, uh, you can see the officers in crouched positions behind cars blocked off surrounding streets. And at this point, we just don't know if it's contained yet. But we do know that at least four police officers we can report have, in fact, been shot. One report, again, I don't want to get out ahead of this, is that one officer was shot in the head. You hope, I hope and pray that, to God, that's not true. Um, but that was uh, the report from one of the news services that, uh, that uh, is out there. A lockdown is also in effect at Temple University's Health Sciences Center campus. And the school put out an alert for their students to take shelter in the place. The story is uh, just developing as we speak. Uh, Linda, what are you hearing on your end? You're, you're talking in my ear here. I can't hear you. Yeah, sorry about that. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually from Philly, as most people know. You know this and area well. I know Why don't you describe area well. the area? Because it, it, this is it, some of this area is not a nice part of Philly, and in other parts there's been a yeah, lot of crime. Yeah, this isn't one of them. The, I know. Ni- nice town is not a nice area. Tioga, it's a tough neighborhood. There's a lot of drugs, a lot of poverty. You know, people. How are, far away did you grow up from there? Uh, about twenty minutes. <laughs> so okay. it's it's not. This is not a good neighborhood. Um, and I actually did my MBA at Temple University and did my right. residency about two blocks from here. So it's it's just not a really good neighborhood. And and I'm assuming you know there's usually a large police presence in the area to begin with because they know there's a lot of narcotic activity there. But the fact that you know this many cops have been taken down and they still don't have. All of the shooters in place, you know, it's still an ongoing situation, um, you know, but we're, we're keeping our eyes and ears to the ground. I know we have Jonathan Gillum on the line, who uh, also was a police officer and can speak to this a little bit. And I'm going to keep doing some I research. I got one on reporter, a friend of mine that lives in Philly, literally saying that people reported hearing over 100 shots being fired in that area. Uh, Jonathan Gillum, I'm looking at the images now. I mean, it looks like the entire Philly police force has now descended on this area. Uh, but we can confirm, in fact, four Philly police officers have been shot. And we do believe at this moment there's still one person, one of the shooters Sean, missing. Sean, if another. I can jump in for one second, it's no. actually five officers. It's now five police officers Five shot. police officers, yeah. Um, and, uh, you wanna, and you have to wonder off the top of your head, Jonathan Gillum, if in fact this is an ambush. Uh, it could be. You know, a lot of these uh, neighborhoods where these drug... Uh, dealers live and then uh, drug trafficking is pretty heavy uh they they have believe it or not these bad guys have uh tactical plans in place and they have a lot of people they can call on and i'm not you know we're still not exactly sure what it is but just going off of the neighborhood the way it's been described the, the crime rate there and the type of crimes that are there i think we can rule out terrorism as probably the the fact of what's going on this is probably a domestic issue or uh, that had to do with drugs or something that blew up or it well, let me just a- add we, we're now being told officially this is an ongoing incident it is not it is not under control at the moment uh, right. five officers now issued and it's ongoing witness heard so many gunshots others describing it well over a hundred shots uh, heard fired yeah and in this type of situation what's happening is they're going to be hitting this, uh, this is not typically something that law enforcement 
uh, is involved with is this type of an overwhelming res- response from a bad person or bad people. So uh, they're going to be hitting this in a fluid situation. I'm sure tactical units are there, and they're going to have to start using what's called a blocking force, which they call in the military law enforcement. They may call it different things where they're going to try to cordon the area off where this is happening so that they can isolate that to that area. And that's the first thing that they probably want to do is make sure that whoever these people are don't get out of that area so that they can contain the firefight to that area. And so yeah. I would imagine that's happening simultaneously with the tactical units getting ready to engage if they're not engaged. Well, getting already. a little more information, the shooting began after police responded to narcotics activity, as we were talking about. Stay right there, Jonathan Gillum, former lieutenant commander of the MIP counterterrorism unit, Bill McGrory. Uh, that gives us a little piece of the puzzle. But whenever you hear that number of police officers shot, it sounds like either the type of raid that we're talking about or an ambush of some kind or the type of activity, if it was a narcotics bust, uh, it seems to have gone awry very quickly, uh, Bill McGrory. Yeah. Yes, Sean. You know what you know jumps to my head sometimes? Uh, they, they, they set up offices in an ambush, you know. They'll call in a drug sale, man with a gun. They wait for the cops to show up, and next thing you know, they're being ambushed. And as Jonathan said, you know, they're trying to set up and coordinate right now and try to locate those guys. And it's a, it's a, it's a shame because... This is the second incident with the cops in the last, what, week? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. We also saw what happened in Philly. I went through a great detail, all the rhetoric that has been used against ICE officers. We had the, the San Antonio late at night. They were shooting into one of the, the ICE officers down there. Uh, we've had a number of these incidents. We had the case in Washington, D.C., where you had these devices that were sent into the Washington office in Tacoma, uh, that guy ended right. up being shot. He was hurling these, uh, throwing these uh, devices, throwing him into a Washington State Immigration Detention Center. We had another incident in May of 2018, and the rhetoric has been so far over the top. Um, you know, we have uh, Congressman Gutierrez calling ICE agents Gestapo. We have liberal websites calling ICE the American Gestapo. We're calling detention centers that have beds and cots and blankets and medical care and soccer fields and rec facilities and TVs and phones and baby formula doctors and diapers. We're comparing them to uh, Auschwitz and concentration camps. The rhetoric against police have gotten so far out of control. Um, I don't know if it's the what's involved here. It sounds like this is a bus that has gone very, very badly or an ambush. We don't know. Yes, and people, and and you, because of the left's rhetoric, and I hate to put politics into it, but we have to call it what it is, right? Look, you look at the presidential debate. What was said on the presidential debate? Cops are bad, and we want to release criminals. So you have this sentiment that you could do whatever you want to cops. Don't worry about it. They're the enemy. They're the bad guys. Throw water on them. Ambush them. Shoot them. Whatever it is. And this is the sentiment that's going on in the United States. Yeah, let me go to, we have some of the audio now that has uh, been picked up, uh, and I want to play this for our audience here. If you're just joining us, we have now five police officers confirmed shot in what was an apparent narcotics raid that went badly. Here is some of the audio uh, on the radio, police radio scanners uh, in Philly. I heard so many gun shots that it was I got scared and I lifted my window up to see what was going on and I left out of the house because I was scared 
Did you? How many gunshots did you hear? Over a hundred. Over a hundred gunshots. Did you see people running? They were what running. Did you hear? They were scurrying. They were afraid. Over there, where they are, uh, they have them held up. Is a play lot where children play. Terrible. How do you feel about this happening here? Four officers. I'm scared. No You're scared. I'm scared. All right, now what we know at this time, the Temple University Health Sciences Center campus, it's in and around this area. Fox 29 Philly is in lockdown. The shooting began after police responding to a narcotics activity that was going on. Probably a lot of a lot of money, a lot of drugs involved here. Uh, as you just heard, some of the witnesses saying over 100 shots have been fired. We now can confirm five police officers shot in the area around this part of, of Temple University. It's called Nice Town, the section of uh, Philly. This part of the town was uh, where this all went, went down. Uh, we have a massive police presence. And what we're told is this is active and ongoing. In other words, I believe one person has been taken into custody and they suspect that there is there are others involved that are hunkered down inside at least one of the buildings surrounding the area. But we don't have any confirmation. Sean, of that, but the police are acting at, as though that is, in fact, the case. As of right now, we have two of the officers were taken to Temple University. One of the officers went to Einstein, which are the two local hospitals there. They're both great hospitals. And two of the other officers have been transported, but it's not being reported where they are. Mayor Jim Kenney and the police commissioner, Richard Ross, are also both heading to Temple University. Um, the Philly helicopter over uh, the scene could be seen taking one man into custody, but we're not sure what that person's role was in the incident. And it happened on the uh, 3700 block of North 15th Street. So it looks like um, the police captain is on the sign, Kind Brew. He's there. And all of the police officers are now uh, sheltering and telling people to shelter in place, as well as what you mentioned about the health and science senator being in lockdown as well. One witness called it like a scene you would see in war, Jonathan Gillum. Uh, if it's a narcotics raid of some kind, probably high dollars if you're talking about the type of weaponry and the type of criminal activity that would bring it to this level, right? It could be, uh, probably most likely so. And I'll tell you one thing that's, that people need to understand about this that are in and around that area is that this type of a situation, once they get these guys, and of course they probably know who they are because that's who they were targeting, once they have them locked down, it's different than a terrorism type of incident where they must keep pushing forward because they know people are going to be killed. In this situation, if there's no hostages, the police can uh, stand back, lock the area down, and that's where they negotiators still work because now they can just wait the guys out and not take any chances on losing life. And I, I do want to say one thing. I heard, you know, the, the people that were the witnesses that were talking there a minute ago, if you ever find yourself in a shootout, which most people never will, if you're outside and you can find an indention in the ground that's 18 inches or deeper, your survivability rate goes up 50% because of the way bullets travel. And people should always remember that if they ever hear bullets going off and you're outside. If you can get away, flee. But if you're caught in it, try to find some indention in the ground to get down into it. The Temple University Health and Science Center campus is on lockdown. That is the exact area where this took place. Some witnesses saying over 100 shots have been fired. Police are telling everybody that this is an active and ongoing situation. And uh, basically what looks like the entire Philadelphia police force is on the scene now. Five police officers confirmed shot. 
like a scene you would see in a war, one witness saying, and the shooting beginning after police responding to narcotics activity, uh, not known, well, an area that it happens to be known for a lot of uh, drugs and violence and crime, unfortunately, one of the cities that we need to get cleaned up in this country that we talk so often about, but the situation, again, is active and ongoing. Um, I'm looking at, at the scene right now, and I could tell you that there are at least what looks like 100 police cars surrounding this one particular area. Now, what we're also being told is that people are being told not to leave their homes, that there is an active firefight actually ongoing. That just that just crossed the wires as we speak. And so it's an active shooting situation. If you're in and around this part of Philly, uh, please take the proper precautions and shelter and let the police do their job. This is what they are trained to do. And their presence is heavy. You can see the way they're cordoned off. Let me just paint a picture here for you that the way that they're cordoned off is you can see that they're hiding specifically behind certain areas and a certain block. So that would probably mean that they are aware of where the likely, well, shooter is there. Bernie Carrick is with us, former NYPD commissioner. Uh, Kamish, uh, I know you've lived through a lot of bad times. Five cops shot. Pretty scary. It's active. It's ongoing. More shots being heard even as we speak, according to live reports that are coming in. Over 100 shots fired. Um, a, a narcotics bust apparently gone bad. What can you tell us? Well, I think what they're going to have to do and, and what they're doing now, you'll see them stabilize in a certain area. Um, they want to identify where the shooter is, where the gunshots are coming from, um, take care of the injured, um, and then get anybody else out of the way. You know, when you have one of these things, Sean, the, the key thing is take care of everybody as it stands right now, but then, you know, you're going to probably try to wait this guy out unless you can make him pop his head out and take him out in the process. That's probably going to be unlikely, so we might be in a, a standoff situation for quite a period of time. Walk us through what normal procedures would be, at least when you were running the NYPD, uh, uh, from your perspective well, as commissioner. You know what? In, in this time, in the aftermath of 9-11, even the everyday average patrolmen uh, are trained for active shooter scenarios where they're going to go and they're going to go first. Uh, you know, historically, you would wait for a SWAT team or a special operations unit. That's no longer the case, which is why you see a bunch of these, you know, the everyday sector car patrolmen, so to speak, up front. Um, now you'll have special operations come in. They'll put up drones. They'll put up, the, you know, they'll start collecting camera information from the surrounding area. Um, and they'll identify where this person is uh, or people, depending on how many. Um, and then you work on getting to them. Uh, but the but the first and foremost is get the injured cops out of there. Anybody else that's in the way, get them out of there as well. We're seeing images now of uh, emergency response teams, literally, and ambulances racing out of the area. Uh, assumedly, they are taking them to the hospital as we speak. Stay right there, Commissioner Carrick. Uh, we have more audio from some of the witnesses. Let's listen to what they say they heard. And so radio nation You can hear Commission you can hear the, the gunshots in the background there. Reports of over a hundred shots fired. So this was this sounds like a shootout in the middle of this uh apparent narcotics 
investigation, raid, whatever was going on. Do you think, is there any chance this was an ambush? I don't know if it was an ambush, but, you know, the normal narcotics raid, you may have a guy, you know, fire at the cops as they're trying to do an entry or something like that. Somebody doing 100 rounds, Sean, this is somebody that was sitting and waiting. This is somebody that had, you know, a stockpile of ammo and weapons, perhaps. Um, you know, somebody that may have anticipated the cops coming, uh, you know, to their door. Um, that's not the norm in, in a drug, uh, you know, bust scenario, so to speak. So it's going to be interesting to find out what happened later. Um, you know, but for now, uh, get those injured cops out. Here's what we know, though. We know the shooting began after police responded to narcotics activity. Police are confirming that this situation remains active and ongoing, which means that one of the shooters at least is at large. Uh, if somebody holds up inside a, a, a building and maybe even that building has food, water or supplies of some kind, there's no telling how long a standoff like that could go on for. True. And Sean, let me jump in for one second. The shots were being fired from inside of a house on that mm-hmm. street. So that they were mean- firing from a window at the cops. Right. As the cops were pulling up. So, Commissioner, I ask you again, you know, the that would mean how long does this go on for? Well, listen, it's going to go on until they can get the person out of there. What the, the, the primary thing right now is to make sure nobody else, nobody else gets hurt on the outside. So they need to secure it down the area. They need to evacuate the houses next to that. They need to create a, a, a secure zone to make sure the guy doesn't or people don't escape. Uh, can't get out of there and, and disappear into the uh, into the night. Um, so that's what they're going to be working on. Uh, but if it's coming out of a house, this is this could be a group, Sean. You know, they were doing a narcotics arrest. This could be a group that anticipate, you know, in, in the drug rivalry arena, in the cartels, you know, they're always uh, stocked up with ammunition and guns, anticipating a rip, anticipating... You know, mm-hmm. another drug. Let me uh, let me add a couple of other things that are just coming through. Uh, well, this didn't take long. Kamala Harris suggesting her 2020 gun control policies would have stopped the shooting that took place in Philly today. I mean, uh, it really it's still ongoing. Can somebody inform the presidential candidate this is still ongoing? What we're also hearing is we're getting a little bit more details. A suspect again, narcotics related, in a home shooting. Uh, in the upper floors, two cops with two suspects already restrained and trapped in the upper floors. So this might even be worse than initially thought. Maybe the main reason why the police are telling us the situation is active and ongoing. Three suspects restrained also appears to be shooting at cops who are outside the home from inside the home. So there's things going on inside and outside. And we don't have any clue at this moment what what's going on inside the area where and the home in particular that is now cordoned off by the police. Um, this could be this could be lasting quite a while, Commission. It could be lasting quite a while. And the guys inside are going to be extremely important with regard to intel, feeding the people outside what's in there, you know, what's in the house, where the uh, where the adversary is. Where, you Special know, agents what's, from what's the ATF on the are on the scene. If it is a police hostage situation, is that a possibility, Commission? It could be. Um, you know, look, uh, everything is speculation at this point. But when you have two officers in the house with other suspects and they can't get out, that's a major, major problem. So you'll have ATF. You're going to have the FBI show up. Um, it's going to be a, a major problem. And who knows how long it's going to go. 
Yeah, unbelievable. If you're just joining us, by the way, witnesses hearing over 100 gunshots. Uh, we have some of them that we just played on tape moments ago. It's in and around the the Temple University Science Center, which is on lockdown. It's active and ongoing and reports that at least one of the shooters is inside and it's going on as we speak. This all in response to police responding to a narcotics traffic, a narcotics deal that is was going on in particular at the time in this particular home. Um, a number of suspects were now being told are involved in all of this. Some are in custody, but some are at large. And several officers injured, active and ongoing. Our thoughts and prayers are with the city of Philly, these families, these policemen, and these brave nurses and doctors. May they do their best work. We'll have more tonight on Hannity. Quick break. And thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, uh, Jonathan Gillum. Thank you, Mr. McGarty.